Welcome to Career in Ruins, where this week we're at the Bournemouth Short Science Film Festival. The festival's really interesting. It's celebrating cinematic sound and music. And as podcasts are a predominantly audio medium, Lawrence and I thought it would be really fun to come down and interact with sound. Um, and perhaps do some podcasting while we're down here. And I'm just outside the festival now. I've registered and I've ordered a cup of coffee and I'm just waiting for Lawrence to turn up and join me. Hello, mate. You're right. All right, get that lapel mic on. <laughs> so I'm late. That's all right. That's all right. How are we doing? It's nice to see you. It's nice to be back podcasting again. I know. I know. I've just registered. You, you yeah, all registered, all ready to go. Had a little look at the green room, and I think we can slip in there and do Excellent. some recording later. Excellent. Um, it's quite a quite a good program today. Some film shorts and yeah. um, some interviews later. And tomorrow, there's a special guest appearance with, I believe, Marangi. I know. Or the IT guy from the office. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well excited. Well excited <laughs> to see that. But for now, yeah, just just sitting here thinking about sounds and, and what we can do with sounds. Yeah. Sounds. I mean, it's quite nice to get invited along to this, wasn't it? Really. It's a local festival yeah. run at Bournemouth, and they contacted us and said, "You guys do the sound." Yeah, it's nice, <laughs> and it's it's we've got a bit of a connection there. That our sound guy guy does a bit of work here, and he's got an installation currently set up in in the lavatories, which was quite a surprise when I went in just <laughs> oh, now. Right. I didn't uh, see that. Uh, it took me a few minutes to notice there was a speaker above my head playing some mysterious <laughs> dripping sounds. I was, I was visibly sidestepping. That's <laughs> <laughs> good, but. It, it sort of got us thinking about sounds in archaeology and the, the historic environment. And it's, I mean, it's quite a visual subject. It, it is, yeah, and, and we touched upon it a little bit, didn't we, in, in the last career break episode where we, we came back with our favourite archaeological sound? sounds. But what's that sound? That's it. And this, this for me, feels like a great opportunity to pick up on that and think about the sounds, both of archaeology and the sounds in archaeology. Yeah. And what, 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 what are the sounds of the past? How do you connect to the past via things beyond the visual? That's it. I mean, cause, I mean we always moan about the media being headlines and finds and gold and whatnot but um, yeah there's there's a lot more to it than just that but uh, when you messaged about doing the uh, your top sound yes, I got yeah. very excited so um, are we gonna have a game of uh, what's that sound should we play what's that sound all right you can go first all right so one sound that always makes me think about archaeology is this one. <laughs> Any guesses? Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I think of some jokes, but I'm like, I'll try and stay more less childish. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's a horn. It's a horn, yeah, 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 you got there, you're getting there. Anything, any particular type of horn? Yeah, it's, it's, it's an important horn, and it's, it's, it's the horn you hear regularly when you're first opening up a site. And it, it takes me back to both my, my time in commercial archaeology, but more recently, opening up a trench for the field school. So the, the sound of a horn comes in when a trailer's full, when, the, when a machine is stripping off the topsoil, um, and the trailer's full, the driver will beat the horn, and then the trailer can go and be emptied. Mm -hmm. And 
it's a sound you hear really frequently when you're stripping back topsoil, but that, that experience of stripping back topsoil is one of the most exciting and daunting parts of being an archaeologist. Because on one hand, you've, you've staked a lot, you've invested a lot of money and effort into digging in this place. Yeah. And if you've got that wrong, yeah, you're yeah, in yeah, so yeah. much trouble. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly, I mean, in the context I was doing it as a field school, uh, I needed enough archaeology for all of the students to dig, and I'd, I'd staked tens of thousands of pounds on this one site based on my own geophysics and my own interpretation. <laughs> and hearing that uh, uh, just reminds me of that sort of mixed feeling of both excitement and fear. If you've got the, if you've got the right digger driver, do you sometimes get the occasional brrrr if they've uh, spotted something interesting? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Good old Norm. Norm, Norm. <laughs> yeah, I, that's quite a special moment, isn't it? Peeling back the earth for the mm. first time and not really knowing what you're going to see, yeah. hoping what you, what, you, what you predicted is right, but yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of a, um, a digger driver on one of the first commercial projects I worked in, who, uh, who was just a little bit crazy, and uh, it was certainly pre-health and safety time, so he had some interesting nights before. Oh, and I always felt sorry for the myxomatosis bunnies uh, oh, no. that were around the site in the next morning. They didn't have a good time there. Anyway, <laughs> that, that reminds me of bad, bad things yeah, on archaeological sites. taking us to a, a dark place, almost a Garth Marenghi's dark place. <laughs> but, um, so how about you? Give me, give me your first Okay, side. this is mine first. Point stored. Oh, that's the same. I know all too well. So I might have done two sounds in one there, but yeah, they, they yeah. represent one aspect of uh, archaeology as a whole. So that's the sound of a Bartington 601 gradiometer, uh, yeah, yeah. recording data or logging data. It's, it's alarming, but it's so close to a GPS system. Though. That's never going to work. <laughs> but also, yeah, the point store. Yeah, good point. Oh, no, no, what was it? It was a, um, a mag cart. Mag cart. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the GPS being, a, yeah, the point store being linked to uh, a, a differential GPS system. And for me, as someone that really enjoys landscape archaeology and survey work, those are the, the exciting bits for me because they mean that we're collecting information that's going to inform future work, like you just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can lead to my anxiety. And <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And those things are making a beepy noise. That means Derek's going to be anxious. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, even our work in Volos, um, in Vlokos, uh, sorry, um, uh, recording lost cities, yeah, or yeah. even the New Forest with volunteers. Identifying or trying to identify sites and features that aren't known before, trying to understand them a bit better, and then locating them within their environment so you know where they sit and yeah, what their role was. I must say though, that, that beep 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 point stored is, is one of the, the best noises a GPS makes, but of course it's coupled with a lot of the horrible noises <laughs> that it also makes, like RTK data link <laughs> down. Yeah, I was very close <laughs> to choosing that one. <laughs> Yes. The noises, the sounds you don't want to hear when yeah. doing a GPS survey. Yeah. I feel sorry for these people that did their work in pre-digital age. Uh, yeah. Never got to see, got a point score. I mean, at least if you're out in the field with a plain table, the worst thing that happens is it blows over or your, your tape measure snaps. True. Do you reckon anyone ever went, point stored, carry on? Yeah. <laughs> i tell you what, I teach my first year students plain tabling to give them a sense of, well, basic trigonometry and kind of underpinning principles of survey. And I might just start doing that whenever they put their pencil to the paper, I might just scream behind them, point, point stored, stored. <laughs> yeah. and kick over the tripod and scream RTK data link down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you idiot. <laughs> What's your second sound? Well, my next sound is, it's a tricky one to describe. It's, uh, I'll try and simulate it through the medium of recording. Is that the sound of silence? It is the sound of silence. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was wondering how long I was going to have to stay silent for there. <laughs> it's the sound of silence and it's, it's that wonderful sound that sadly... That's not the sound of silence. <laughs> no, that's the sound of someone making coffee. Sadly, it happens all too rarely in my life at the moment, but it's that sound of being in, a, in an old-fashioned library. Okay. And I was really fortunate recently that I got to spend a few days in the Nordic Library in Athens. Mm -hmm. And... Do you, do you work in Greece? Have I not told you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's, it's such a pleasant place to be because of that forced library silence. There's nothing quite like the pressure when you need to write something or when you're reading and thinking of just having a almost a soundless environment and just mm. hearing a, a rat-a-tat-tat of keyboards occasionally, someone turning the page on a book, Sorry. a taxi beeping outside <laughs> and, the, and the din of Athens. But that, that silence, that, that, that sort of ability to just, ability to shut out sound, I think it's one of my favorite things about old school libraries. Mm -hmm. And you don't get that as much now. In, in modern universities, there are fewer spaces like that. And the ability to just remove yourself from noise mm -hmm. to, to think. And what's quite nice is that that environment, that silence is fostering some great things. People in the region are doing research, they're potentially finding that paragraph of text that mm. was exactly what they were looking for, or definitely wasn't what they were looking yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the, the historic map that, that identifies their site that no one's mm. ever identified before. And it's funny, I was, I, I'm, I've been thinking, well, I need to do some writing next week, and it's, it's not something I'm excited to sit down and do. It's, it's going to be a bit of a challenge, I think, to get the right words in the right order in the right place. And the idea of coming to the office and doing it seems insane because there'll be a queue of people outside the door asking various things. Right, sure. But also, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of a big deal. Um, but of course, working at home, there's kids, family, mm. other distractions. So I thought I might just pop to my local library, mm -hmm. sit upstairs, take a laptop in with me and, and try and absorb some of that, that academia. Yeah, I like it, I like <laughs> it. Okay, so my final stand, are you ready for this? Go on. Did you record that on my porch? <laughs> no, that's in a woodland. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, rain. Rain, rain. yeah, it's, it's a sound. It's a sure. sound, but certainly with my work in the New Forest and any forestry work I'm doing across the central southern region, when you're underneath a relatively dense woodland and you're in the rain, you're dry, and you're in this environment looking for archaeological features mm. or evidence of human habitation, um, keeping relatively dry, you're not too cold and wet, it's not like you're in the middle of a moorland or something like that. But, um, and just the sense that you're the only person in that woodland, mm. and you're probably the first person to look at this lump or this bank or this mound for, yeah. for a few years at least. And um, for me, that just, it's a real comforting noise, that, that sound of the outdoors. The, you, 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 know you're, you know you're outside, you know there's, there's some weather going on, but at the same time you know you're on an adventure. Yeah. 
I think it's a sight I enjoy as well, that, that getting, stepping outside, stepping away a bit from civilization, being a bit cut off hearing the bird sounds, the wind in the trees, nature. the rain in the trees. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a huge perk of our job, isn't it? It's massively important. And I suspect both of us have had field work, both in a more rural context and in a more urban context. And I, I must admit, I much prefer the, the stepping outside of a town away from a city and That's just being out, out and about. Looking at tree graffiti, for example, yeah. I see you've been doing that lately. Yeah, yeah, I managed to get on the Times. Well, actually, I'm, in, I'm on uh, Gardener's Question Time. Next that week. is zenith for <laughs> the media appearances, yeah. isn't it? It's <laughs> its finest. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think we've got a few interesting things to chat about a bit, chat about a bit later. I was going to say, should we go and have a look around the festival and then maybe touch base a bit later and think about sounds of archaeology and film. Yeah. That'd be quite fun. Yeah, that'd be good. Um, maybe we can find somewhere that sounds a bit quieter while we talk to each other. Not a bad idea. Yeah. Let's do that. So that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. We've just come out of a session by Dr. Jamie Stonehouse on playful expression, which was, I mean, coming at it from a non-sound engineering perspective, I found quite interesting, this yeah. whole creation of sound and audio via interaction in 3D space using game engines, which is something that's quite vogue at the moment in archaeology. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But it's interesting that because, I mean, we've dabbled with some virtual reconstruction and we've got some good friends that, uh, that utilise things like... Um, what is it that Rich uses? It's, um, oh, he uses Unity, yeah. he uses um, Unreal, Unreal as well. Mm. Yeah. And there's an interesting focus on the reality of that, the, the factual correctness, science informing the reconstruction. Yeah, I think and we, then there's we, a bit of a whitewash approach to the sound. Yeah, it's fair to say we probably invest hours of time thinking about the visuals in incredible detail, either what's represented in the archaeological record and how we can interpolate that outwards to a, to a full reconstruction. But the sound, I think, with the exception of a few people who, who we know in, in the industry, mm. sound does get kind of pushed to one yeah, side. Yeah, which is kind of understandable because we can use physical artefacts to inform how something might look yeah, or may yeah. have been constructed but um, to know what things sounded like and, um, and whatnot yeah it's, it's harder to conceive and theorize and and it's one one thing that's perhaps there there is a power there but if you imagine a, a 3d reconstruction of a, a musical instrument or a, a type of musical instrument found in archaeology or in the past and then being able to use that in an immersive and interactive way could be quite interesting yeah there's certainly room for that yeah definitely I mean, I, I, our, our friend and colleague, Kat Cooper, or Catherine, Catherine Cooper, um, Catriona Cooper, sorry, um, her whole PhD was around that, that sort of, sort yeah. of project, trying to recreate and understand the sounds within specific spaces. I remember being in a, one of her papers at the CAA conference we went to a few mm. years ago in Oslo, mm. and it, it did strike me actually that it is something that is often so kind of detached from from some of the work we do. And actually, I went to a, a Roman villa reconstruction recently, to a, um, a, an actual reconstruction rather than a 3D virtual one. And it was the, the sound of it kind of took me aback, the echoey sound of being in the room with the mosaic on the floor, was something I, I hadn't quite imagined yeah. myself being in. Yeah, because normally they're big open spaces with yeah. a mosaic on the floor. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. yeah. So you don't necessarily you don't get that, that feeling of enclosure mm -hmm. that, that mm. came with it. And being able to replicate that in a 3D environment could be quite interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole that whole experience in this this whole chat really it makes makes me think a little bit about the importance of sound in 
how we experience the past through media. Um, yeah. We see various things, um, either in fantasy, Game of Thrones, for example, yeah, or yeah. Um, set in the past in terms of Jurassic Park, but then no, not set in the past. <laughs> Never you know, um, but films that are set in different times and the importance of the sound to kind of giving you that sense of being there, that sense of authenticity and believability. And I think there's there's a when a when a film goes against kind of the, the tradition of trying to at least mirror some past sounds. It can be quite jarring. I remember watching 300, mm -hmm. which is at times a terrible film, but having the quite contemporary soundtrack within that film, t to a point, takes you away from some of the authenticity of it. Mm. Whereas other th films, um, I guess in a more recent setting, like Dunkirk, for example, yeah, yeah. relies on very authentic and natural sounds to put you in that yeah. pressurised environment. Sound is such an important for certainly historic films and war-based films with explosions and movement and planes and things, that, that immersiveness of being put within a scenario, mm. so things going on all around you, and overhead and far away, and explosions and whatnot. Mm. Exactly, I remember, I think I watched, watched Dunkirk on a flight back from, back from the US, and I had headphones on, so I was completely in, immersed sound-wise. I'd shut out all the sound around me. And the scenes where um, they were piloting a Spitfire and the occasional silence when the engine would cut out, that feeling of isolation and that feeling of disconnect driven entirely through sound was really interesting. I think the Spitfire's engines that cut out your airplanes. It was, it, well, it was quite nerve-wracking <laughs> being on a plane in that particular scene, but it just, just struck me as very interesting. And uh, you, you often see films set in the medieval period where they're, you'll hear a lute type sound. Well, that's right. I was going to suggest um, Brave. Have you seen the uh, yes, animated? Yes, yeah. And they put a load of great time and effort into mm. contextualising the historic time period and mm. the castles and the outfits and the... But then also the, Sc the Scottish accents yeah, and the sounds yeah. and the... Yeah, that, that always strikes me as an interesting one. Actually, you're right. The, in the films of its type, I think Brave always stands out to me because I, I, I do watch a lot of children's films at the moment. And you get the films like Frozen and some of the other Disney stable films, and they, they tend to have a fairly modern contemporary soundtrack. Mm. But Brave, I think, kept very true to the, the style, and that's yeah, a great yeah. show. Yeah, and there's also people like Dr. Ryan, I think, Level, mm -hmm. uh, at University of Winchester, and um, he looks at medieval histories in particular, but he was brought in by the BBC to work with them on The Last Kingdom, so oh, okay, yeah. big Viking series. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was used for historical accuracies, and he was saying how it was wonderful to be able to weave historical accuracies into popular production, such as, such as that series, and that was along the lines of making sure they had the right clothes and appearance mm. and they didn't all have mohawks for example. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Um, but also the sounds and the, the, the musics and the mm. things like that might be associated with Viking life and using research and historical evidence to inform popular mm. reconstructions. It's quite, it's, it's a fascinating area. I remember a couple of years ago we had a, an undergraduate induction uh, session where we take all the students out to Cranbourne Ancient Technology Centre and we we basically have a big Viking feast and then some sort of performance in the big earth house they've got and it's an incredible space to be in, some low light, firelight, smoke, steam and you're in this really authentic setting. I'm very visual at the moment. Oh exactly but I'm getting there don't worry and, um, 
This year we had a storyteller, which was quite audio, right. but the year before we had some archaeomusologists. Oh right, have you just down. made that word up? I may have done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm plucking it from the depths of my memory. Um, and we'll, we'll, I'll try and dig out the names and put Isn't them in the description. Isn't that what we do? We just muse about archaeology. <laughs> <laughs> it's listening to muse while doing archaeology. Um, but it was fascinating. Um, they brought along instruments made from, from bone, made from materials of sort of an ancient character. Mm. Um, they had lots of um, reed flutes and various, yeah, pre, I guess pre-industrial um, instruments, but made from very authentic fabrics. And the sound of them was, was quite jarring, but tuneful. It was mm -hmm. very different to um, sounds, I suppose, we're used to hearing. Jarring doesn't sound great. <laughs> no, I suppose jarring in a sense that it's, it's it almost has sci-fi quality. Okay. Um, yeah. then a, a, if you imagine bagpipes as an authentic sound, that's got a, quite a jarring yeah, sound to it. Yeah, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. <laughs> and uh, liars themselves as well, they like, like, well, can be jarring. We're sort of stumbling onto the elements of phenomenology, aren't mm, we? I think so. Yeah. And um, there's a great book by um, Steve Mills, um, um, which is called Auditory Archaeology Understanding Sound and Hearing in the Past. And um, he reviews loads of aspects around phenomenology, and for those that Unaware of phenomenology, I don't have a, a, a perfect description for it. It's about ex um, the experience or phenomenon of that of that environment, that historic environment. So yeah. the sounds, the so it's how people experienced yeah. a landscape. So it's, it's, or it's capturing that that embodied sense of being somewhere. That yeah, and it, and that can be from landscape scale yeah. to within a reconstructed prehistoric. Roundhouse yeah, exactly. Like yeah. Um, but he he mentions in his book a, a lot of the work by Sue Hamilton and um, Ruth Whitehouse. Okay. So Sue, ha Sue Hamilton's at UCL, um, and she some of the work's really interesting. Particularly they they were out. I don't know if you come across their stuff in Italy, and uh, looking at um, prehistoric Neolithic sounds and no, yeah. um, in in these, these Italian Italian hills and foothills and how people would have been heard, mm. what people would have heard and how people would have been seen moving around those yeah. landscapes. And there's some really interesting notes like um, that they, they go for their walk on uh, establishment, known Neolithic routes or prehistoric routes, and then talk about what they can hear mm. and who they can hear. And they talk about how they hear a, um, a milkmaid getting chatted up by a local mm. farmhand and things like that. And, how this might, but perhaps I digress a bit, but it, some really interesting reading there, so I'd recommend it for anyone mm. that wants to have a thought about phenomenology and sound and how sounds and experiences have changed or might have been perceived over the years. It's funny, it's a, it's a little bit of a sideways thought, but I remember seeing a presentation years ago, and I can't for the life of me remember who by. Um, it was in a, a similar time, I know we've chatted in the past a bit about emotional cartography and mapping feelings mm, through times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but there was a mapping project that involved um, a blindfolded participant being led around a landscape and then mapping their audio experiences and sensory, so smell as well, and taste. And, um, texture to a degree, but predominantly the sound experiences of being led through an urban landscape um, without sort of that visual experience and being able to map the things we, I guess, the, those of us fortunate enough to have all senses, the things we perhaps take for granted but constitute a huge part of our experience of the day to day. It's, it's there, we don't necessarily acknowledge and we're not necessarily as aware of it as we could be, but it's, it's there that makes up the day-to-day -day experience.
Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about though. I think it might be Charles Jenks maybe. That's the one, yeah, yeah. Mm. Really interesting stuff and the website's fantastic. Yeah, isn't it? worth, worth checking out, really interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, nice little day out, I think. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. It's been nice nice to have a bit of a slow, slow welcome back to podcasting. Yeah. No yeah. sort of pressure of an episode, but it's, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting some more interviews in the bag and yeah. sort of getting back to normal a bit. Yeah, that's it. We've, uh, we've been chatting to Karenza Lewis, um, so she'll be on in the not too distant future. So looking forward Hopefully to that Hopefully Phil one. Harding That'd as well. That would be a great yeah. crack. Along with um, at least three or five others. So yeah, yeah. so we'll watch be back space. soon. Cheers, everyone. Yeah, thank you.